good morning, everybody. Once again, welcome to worship. One of the, one of the fun things about live streaming is that people send me text messages during worship. Uh, so somebody said, hey, you need to fix your hair. Uh, so I fixed my hair, you know. So that's one of the advantages, I guess, of, of uh, doing it live. But once again, thanks for being here this morning. Um, we have been in a sermon series called Unfailing where the last few weeks we have been looking at different promises that God gives us in his word that help sustain us in the midst of seasons of uncertainty. And I think we'd all agree that that is a season that we're in right now. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife Emily joined us and we talked about God's promise of his presence, that he would never leave us nor forsake us no matter what we're going through. And then last week, uh, Jen came and shared a powerful testimony. If you missed last week's service, I want you to go back on our YouTube channel, watch it. It was awesome. She talked about God's promise to change us, his promise that he has the power, the desire, the will to change us and transform us from the inside out. And this week, we're going to be looking at another promise of God. And as we get into it this week, I want to I talk with you about uh, a promise of types that you might have heard if you grew up in church at all or if you faced experiences and, that are difficult in life or suffering. And, and that's something that, that's often said in churches, and it's this promise that God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that one? God won't give you more than you can handle. I mean, maybe you heard it, uh, someone in your family died, they're a loved one, and, you know, you just felt like you, you couldn't really go on anymore. You didn't know what the future held. And somebody said, hey, God won't give you more than you can handle. Just, just hold on. It's going to be okay. Or maybe, maybe you haven't received it. Maybe you've said it to other people. You know, your friend lost their job. There's stuff with coronavirus going on. And you just want to give them a word of encouragement. So you say, hey, you know what? Hang on. Don't lose hope. God won't give you more than you can handle. This is a very common phrase, kind of a common promise that's, that's pitched around in churches. And a lot of times it, it can be encouraging for people. Uh, many times it's said with the best of intentions, uh, but there's just one problem with this promise. And that is that this promise that God won't give you more than you can handle, it, it's kind of what we might call a biblical half truth. Okay. It's a biblical Half-truth. That, that is that it, that it does kind of have its origin in scriptures, but in real life when it's spoken to people, it's oftentimes misapplied. And so the, the origin for this, this promise of sorts comes to us um, in 1 Corinthians, actually, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And he, he, says, he says this, he says, God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Which, I mean, at a level, I, I guess you could say a paraphrase of that is, God won't give you more than you can handle. But, but what happens is, and a lot of times we do this with Scripture in many different ways, many different passages, is, is we take uh, something in Scripture and we kind of take it out of context and we apply it to other people and, and say it to different situations in their lives. But when we zoom out of what Paul is talking about here in his letter, he, he's not necessarily talking uh, about suffering and hardships and difficulties for the church there. He's actually giving them some words about the nature of sin and temptation in their lives. And so in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, when we zoom out, we read this. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And so here he's saying to them, he's saying, look, you know what? There, there's a lot of idolatry going around. There's a lot of sexual immorality taking place among you. But, but hey, 
all of us have experienced temptation and we will experience temptation. Even Jesus experienced temptation. So he's saying, look, that's going to happen and it is happening in your midst. But then he gives them a word of hope. He says, God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying that when temptation comes our way, a lot of times we kind of think, well, it's hopeless. I just have to give into it. I just have to gratify my fleshly desires. I'm not that strong. I mean, his word to us, his promise to us here is that, no, 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 God working in you, you do have the power to overcome temptation. You can endure and he won't tempt you. He, He won't allow the temptation in your life to be more than you can handle. And that's great news for us, right? I mean, it's great news for me at least. But, but the problem with, with this phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, although it is, it is true in terms of temptation when we think of it in that terms, when we say it and speak it over people who are going through difficulties and suffering, it, it's not quite true. Because if you've ever suffered in life, if you've ever been through difficulties, if you've ever faced what seems like insurmountable challenges, you're probably aware that a lot of times in life, we do face things, we do experience things that are actually more than we can handle. I mean, I've, I've experienced that. When I was in college, I've, I've shared some over the years about a season I had with depression. And I remember vividly laying on the floor, prostrate, in my apartment, door locked so that other people couldn't come in. I was isolating myself from people during that season. I was so down. I was so distraught. I was lying on the floor, crying out to God in prayer. And I was saying to him, God, I can't handle this. I can't do this on my own. I don't have the strength inside of me. And I've been in funerals. I've been in hospitals. I've been in hospitals where young parents, parents with young children, one of the spouses, they pass away. And the other spouse for them, it is more than they can bear. It's more than they can handle at that point in time. And you might be watching during this season, maybe you tuned in this morning for for a word of hope because life is so difficult as you're navigating your job and its stability and finances and thinking about your kids and childcare and online learning and all the existential threats around us. And then you're thinking about the coronavirus and are you going to get sick and who's going to take care of things if that happens? I mean, a lot of us in this season, we truly feel this is more than we can handle. And the good news I want to share with you this morning is that, that God doesn't promise us that he's not going to give us more than we can handle. That, that's not the promise that relates to suffering and difficulties and hardships in our lives that God gives to us. Instead, as I once heard a preacher put it, it's not that God won't give us more than we can handle. It's that God will help us handle all that we've been given. Because if you think about it, if we could handle it on our own, we wouldn't have a need for God. And so it's not that God won't give you more than you can handle. It's that God will help you handle all that you've been given. And there's somebody in the Bible who, who might kind of know this truth and exemplify it more than, than most other people, and it's the Apostle Paul. And when all of this uh, pandemic broke out, we went through the, the book of Acts and we looked at his life. And so you know, Paul faced many trials, 
many tribulations, many difficulties. He was beaten many times. He was stoned and left for death. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He was thrown in jail for years and people hated him. His life, by all accounts, if you just looked on the surface at at the events of his life, you would say, what a, a terrible life he had, right? It seemed like nothing could go right. Nothing when you just look at those events. But we know that God was working powerfully through Paul. And not only were all of those things going on around Paul, he was experiencing those. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he also mentions to them that not only was he experiencing hardship, difficulty, persecution outside of himself, but also he says, I have a thorn in my flesh. And now you might have heard that phrase before, a thorn in your flesh. Uh, It's kind of become a common term these days for some kind of ailment or or thing that's going on that kind of won't leave us alone. And scholars, since, I mean, Scripture's coming to us, you know, we're we're reading it 2,000 years later, they've tried to figure out what exactly is Paul talking about when he says, I have a thorn in my flesh. And so uh, some people think, well, it was actually a physical ailment he had. And elsewhere in Scripture, uh, we we have this idea, and and scholars have put forth, that, that his vision was kind of going bad. So some people say, well, maybe that was his thorn in his flesh. He had bad vision. Others think it might have to do, uh, he might have been having some kind of seizures or complications with malaria. Others say, you know what, this, this might have just been a phrase he was using metaphorically to all of the difficulty he was facing in life. We don't know exactly what Paul meant when he said, I have a thorn in my flesh, but what we know is he had trouble. He was suffering and he was experiencing something that he couldn't handle on his own. And so in 2 Corinthians, he actually says in verse 7, he calls it a messenger of Satan. He says, the thorn in my flesh is a messenger of Satan sent to torment me. And then in verse 8, he goes on. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And that verse always strikes me because I don't know. I mean, I've been there. I've been there pleading, like I said earlier, with the Lord to take it away from me. And I'm sure you have too. We've all been there saying, God, take me out of this situation. God, I I need relief from this relationship. God, this physical ailment, this this hopelessness I'm feeling. We've pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But notice in verse nine what the Lord says to him. But the Lord said to me, Paul writes, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I don't know if you caught it there, but when it comes to the promises of God, And this promise that God speaks to Paul, it's a promise that God speaks to you. It's a promise that God is speaking to me today, to our world who is in desperate need of this promise. The promise is this, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And so this promise of God, it's not that everything is going to be fixed. It's that his grace is sufficient for all of the problems 
and all of the challenges we're going through. It's a promise that his grace, his power, and his presence can live in us and help us endure, overcome, and make it through whatever we're going through. And if you, if you look kind of at what Paul's saying, I mean, it, it, it's kind of wild. I mean, he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And then he says something crazy. I mean, for us as Americans in first world country, I mean, this is just like a statement most of us never say. He says, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. And so when we ask ourselves, well, why would he say, I delight in these things and all of the difficulties going on in life? He says, I delight in these things because when I come to the end of myself and I realize I don't have what it takes, I don't have the strength, I don't have the power, and God's grace fills me, then I'm putting on display to the world God's power, God's strength, and I'm a witness to him. For when I am weak, I see God's strength. And people see his strength through me as well. And then he goes on. I mean, I also want you to notice what, what he's saying and not saying here. I mean, remember, he, he, he said he pleaded. He pleaded with the Lord, take the thorn of my flesh away from me. And, and we have no evidence to believe that 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 was ever answered. Because it's likely that Paul continued to live with this thorn in his flesh throughout his entire life. And what that's telling us here is that God doesn't promise that he's gonna remove all of our hardships, he's gonna fix all of our, our problems or, or give us money or all of this stuff on this side of heaven. Instead, what he promises is that my grace is sufficient for you. Whether everything works out from a worldly point of view in the end or not, my grace is sufficient for you to help you endure, to help you overcome. And my grace is sufficient, no matter what you're going through, to help shape you more and more like my son, Jesus Christ, no matter what you're going through. Because here's the thing, God can redeem any pain and any suffering that we're going through. And Paul knew that. His life was a testament to that. And, and this morning, uh, rather than me uh, telling you an anecdote or a story from my own life, um, as we've been doing the last few weeks, I, I have somebody uh, coming up to join us who's gonna share about how this promise of God has, has worked out in his own life. And uh, that person is somebody many of you are familiar with if you're a part of the Harvest Point family. Uh, it is Mr. Don Rogers. So welcome, Don. Good morning. We're glad you're here uh, as we're in this series, Unfailing. And for those of you who don't know at home, there's something you need to know about Don that a lot of the men in the men's ministry make fun of you about, but you know yes, what? Yes, Johnny. Um, Canadians are the nicest people, so I don't know why people make fun of you for that. Hey. Uh, but you are Canadian, um, and that's not just a fun fact. That also connects with a story of how this promise has intersected with your life at a point in time. And so um, tell us a little bit about your journey uh, from Canada to the United States and, and what that looks like. Okay, I'll try and keep this brief. Uh, in the late, I'm sorry, in the early 90s, things were pretty tough in my part of Canada, serious recession. My company got sold, very unsure about my future with the job. So I was actually offered an opportunity to come to the U.S., uh, actually for a company that was headquartered in Denver. Colorado, did an interview there. They offered me a job uh, here in Georgia. Uh, 
which was very timely. It was a little um, disconcerting, I guess, to mm -hmm. make that kind of change. Uh, my children were the ages of 7, 10, and 12 when we moved down here. Um, a lot of big changes that we were facing, but it was a great opportunity, so we mm -hmm. took it and moved here to Georgia. Okay, nice. So get your whole family, move down to Georgia. I mean, uprooting. Culturally, I, I've heard Georgia is a little different than Canada. Just a little. Um, so that's all going on. You get a job. It seems kind of like the, the dream life scenario. you got young kids. You're in a recession. Now you have a job. You're making money. Um, but that's when things took a turn, once you kind of arrived. Correct. So um, when we moved here, again, not knowing what it was, different system, different financial system, but uh, things worked out very well for us. We were actually, um, yes, really moving into the American dream. We discovered that property here was substantially less mm -hmm. expensive than we, where we came from, and we're actually doing very well on that side of it. We're able to get a beautiful house. and. Um, I will say that uh, for the last number of years in Canada, I am a PK, that's preacher's kid, so raised in the church, but I had drifted a long ways away from God, from the church. Um, I can't even say I was an Easter Christian. Mm. Um, my wife had started going to church and taking the kids, but I was not not, uh, not serving at all. We came here, and, you know, usually people talk about when they're in the depths, then they reach out to God, but we were doing extremely well, and I said, this has got to be God's hand at work, so um, started trying to get back into it. Uh, a good one of the good friends I made invited me to a church. Started attending. Um, got back into. Started reading the Bible again. Uh, going to church, taking my kids, serving, and doing things. So things seemed to be going really well hmm. everywhere except work. Hmm. Um, what I discovered, um, I had never had uh, a manager, a boss like the one that I was working for. Um, it started off initially, it was okay, um, but sh probably within six or seven months of joining the company, ran into significant difficulties. In my life, I'd never had any performance issues, usually got good reviews, mm. did well, got promoted. For the first time in my life, I was given a very extremely poor review, some extremely um, impossible expectations uh, to meet, and was given ultimatums. And the key thing about this is when we came to the U.S., um, a lot of people don't understand exactly how that works, but I came here on a work visa. Mm -hmm. Now, that means that unless I'm working, I don't get to stay here. Right. Um, so as things progressed, and this happened over a period of probably about a year and a half at uh, my second performance evaluation um, was when um, it got really tough. Uh, mm -hmm very bad review, uh, continued expectations, just things that I couldn't meet, making life extremely difficult, and to the point that at this point I was threatened with deportation. Wow. That uh, he would ensure that the company would not support uh, renewal of my visa, and under those circumstances we would lose everything we had and have to return to Canada. Wow. So, so you're kind of living the American dream. You're finally getting back into church, thinking, "Okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve you. Thank right. you." And then now, you're, you might be fired, deported, no income. No home. I mean, what, what were you thinking, and what was your, your, what was like at home like when you got home from work? Um, well, we really, because of the age of our kids, we were trying to not. My wife and I tried to not 
let them know too much about mm -hmm. what was going mm -hmm. on. We didn't want them to be uh, too deeply affected. But, um, you know, I will say one of the things that, and again, this is, um, I think, more common, but I'm going, God, I'm doing everything mm. that I thought I'm supposed to do. I'm yeah. following, I'm reading your word, I'm praying, I'm trying to do all the right things, and yeah. this is what happens. Um, and I think that's part of the lesson that had to be taught was mm. that you, know, you don't make deals with God. It's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a common thought. It's another uh, a half-truth promise, right? right? That if we obey God and live according to his word, then we're going to be blessed. And we think blessed means have a job, right. kids are good, <laughs> like financially we're happy, but blessed can mean something different. So you're thinking, okay, God, I'm doing all the right things. Your family, lo I mean, your, your job situation is crumbling apart. And so this is one of those situations where at level, it's more than you can handle. Absolutely. And so this promise that God's grace is enough, that it will sustain you and help you endure, that it's sufficient. I mean, how did that, how, how did you kind of uh, receive that promise and experience it in that season of difficulty? Well, there were a couple of things. Um, one of the things was, and again, we were involved in a church. So it, was a, it was a good church. We had some good friends. Um, started meeting with the pastor, um, like you, a young pastor. A Sorry. A uh, young pastor and uh, was very supportive, very helpful. So I certainly felt God's strength um, through his encouragement, not that he could really do anything, but mm. certainly was uh, a big help. I will say that the other area that I, I felt God's strength was uh, through my wife. Mm. Um, um, I have to be careful how I say this. Maureen is a little bit of a pessimist um, and usually not the best person for emergency situations or mm. when things get tough. But during this time period, I was very concerned about how she would react. Obviously, I couldn't hide anything from her but uh, she was extremely supportive and mm -hmm. helpful and you know to the point that you know I still had to go to work through this so mm -hmm. it wasn't like I could sit around all day and uh, look for things she was actually at the point where she would spend time uh, on the computer looking at things and when I would come home she would actually have some opportunities that she said I, I think mm -hmm. you need to look at this this may be something that um, we could look at that you might be able to get another job and it was just very um very supportive, very helpful through this mm. as I was trying to hold it together. Because I'm telling you, sometimes it's pretty tough to hold it together when mm. you think your whole world is going to disappear. Yeah. So God's grace, I mean, it's coming to you through her, right. through, uh, through her strength. You're kind of receiving that, that grace. And then, I mean, what, so yeah, so kind of how did the situation play out? How did it kind of affect your faith as you were navigating it? Well, I mean, it certainly... It was a challenge. Um, and again, there's just that kind of thought back there that, you know, when I wasn't serving you, things went really well. Mm. And now I'm trying to do the right things and, and the wheels have fallen off. But again, I think that was part of that learning curve that I was going through, some of the things mm. that I needed to experience. I will say at the time that what I had done, I had gotten back into reading the Bible Mm -hmm. um, as I told you before, I was raised King James. Mm -hmm. uh, my dad, that was pretty much the only thing he used. So I took the opportunity to get some different translations, um, which oftentimes make it easier to mm -hmm. be able to read mm -hmm. biblical stories and get something out. And as I went through, there were just passages that just kind of mm -hmm. spoke um, and said, this is, my grace is sufficient. You will get through this. I mm -hmm. Things will work out. It may not be the way you want it to, but... yeah. 
you will get through this and it will be okay, which it was. Um, ultimately, you know, this took, this took a period. I worked there for about three years. Um, so in the third year, it was a very difficult circumstance. As I was looking, I was actually taking trips other parts of the country trying mm -hmm. to find work um, because it's not as easy when, because you have to tell companies, hey, yes, I'm interested in job. Am I qualified? But you also got to sponsor me with a visa. I need a visa, yeah. So some companies are a little, they're not either not familiar with it or not really reluctant to take that on. So it was a bit of a challenge. But uh, ultimately, things worked out wonderfully. Mm. Um, it ended up that we only had to make a small move. We were able to stay here in Georgia. Mm. Thank God. We do love Georgia. And um, I ended up getting the best job of my life. Okay, I really wow. I got a job that was the best experience I'd had in my working career. Wow. So, yeah, I love that. So, God not only met you through your wife, also through his word as you're yes. reading it, his promises. And I know that became a passion for you and the future. Yes. And then, I mean, so coming through this, and like I said earlier, not everybody's story, you know, works out like yours did. Um, but on the other side of it, how do you feel like this experience of coming to the end of yourself, realizing you can't handle it on your own, relying on God's grace, how do you think that prepared you or shaped you or made you more like Christ kind of for the years ahead? I think one of the things that I learned, I'm, you know, and people who know me understand this, I kind of like to be in control mm. uh, in cir all circumstances, basically. And I think one of the things that happened was that it really taught me that uh, you have to be prepared to give up control, that you have to let God work in the way he's going to work. It's not going to necessarily be on your timetable. Mm. Um, and it gave me the opportunity to see that I could just allow him mm. to guide me, to, you know, take the right path, open doors, close doors, mm. and just be patient. Yeah. I'm not very good at that. Yeah. Um, just be willing to wait. One of the things that I think it did for me as well, again, I started getting back into the Bible, but the idea of the whole, what I refer to as Christian education, mm. understanding the Bible, understanding the truths of the Bible, mm. practical applications of the Bible, not just that they're stories mm. or things that we learn, but to understand its reality in history, its reality um, for our day-to-day -day life, uh, I think helped me a lot. The other thing that I think it helped me prepare as well is it wasn't too long after this that um, I faced some problems because of death in my family. Mm. Um, in the space of just a few years, I lost both my sisters, my mom, and my dad. Oh, wow. Um, so I think that in some ways that helped me prepare for being able to get through that, especially when you're 1,500 miles away from mm. uh, the family that you're losing. So uh, yeah. it, uh, it helped me through that, and I think it's helped me be a better, I don't know what the right word is, I enjoy teaching. You know, that's what I'm doing kind of mm -hmm. uh, full-time now. So, And I think it just kind of prepared me for those opportunities that mm -hmm. have come up in the various churches I've been to. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you, Don, for sharing with us. Uh, if you're watching a live stream, thank Don in the comments. Um, yeah, we, we appreciate it. And, um, you know, Don was talking about resting in God's word, learning it. Um, this promise that my grace is sufficient for you. If you don't have that one memorized, uh, that's a good one to write on your heart. Memorize it deep down uh, because whether you faced difficulties that seem insurmountable yet in life or you're going, you're going to one day. And so knowing this promise of God will help you uh, make it through those things. And so uh, this morning, if you're watching, that's what we want, we want you to know is that that no matter what you're facing, no matter the difficulties that will come, 
God doesn't want you to try to handle them on your own. He wants to meet you. His grace is sufficient for you. He wants to help you endure. He wants to help you overcome. And throughout all of it, he wants to help you become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning, rather than closing with a, with a prayer, I wanna close with a, a story um, and a poem uh, about a woman named Annie Flint. Um, Annie Flint, uh, later in her life, was a great poet, wrote, wrote many beautiful things. Um, and I'm gonna share her poem with you. But before that, I wanna give you a little context because Annie, she lived more than a century ago. I mean, when she was three years old, her mom passed away. And so her dad began taking care of her. Um, soon her dad became so sick that, that she was put up for adoption. Uh, she had a loving family who adopted her. Great childhood. Um, then before she graduated high school, both of her adoptive parents passed away. Um, then she went through college. Things were looking up. Life was going well. Um, and then she, she got a degenerative disease that led her to be unable to walk and bound to a wheelchair um, unable to even write at times. And so because of her love for words and her love for poetry and other things, she began to dictate these poems and lyrics to other people. And one of her most famous poems is one called What God Hath Promised. And I wanna share this with you today. I came across it this week um, and I thought it was really profound. She writes this. God hath not promised skies always blue. Flower strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. So this week, take those words with you. Amen.